Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible in front of you to Acts chapter 10. If you need a Bible under a seat nearby you, you'll find a copy of God's Word under there. And if you don't own one, uh, just leave with that today. That is our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word in front of you to Acts chapter 10. And uh, um, let me tell you what we're going to see today. What we're going to see today is um, um, a group of people thought to be unsavable get saved. A group of people thought kind of the common, uh, predominant thought, viewpoint on these group of people by the religious of the day is that they were an unsavable group. And what we're going to see is God saves the quote-unquote unsavable group today. And now on, on this side of history, kind of if you've spent any time in the Bible whatsoever, you, you might think that, um, wow, there was a time where there were thought to be people who were unsavable. We got to get back into pre-Acts 10 uh, viewpoint of our mind. The understanding of good Jews at the time is that Gentiles, non-Jews, people that were completely separated from any Jewish lineage in their life were unsavable people. They were unclean. They, 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 there's no way that they could share in the salvation like Jews could. And yet what we're going to see today is uh, the spotlight is still on the Apostle Peter's ministry. And he's going to travel now to a new town. And in this new town, he's going to go into the house of someone that um, at one point in his life, he never thought he'd get caught dead in these people's houses. And he's going to proclaim the gospel and the unsavable are going to get saved today. And here's why this is really, really good news for every single one of us sitting in this room today, whether you're a Christian sitting here or not. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you have come to church on the perfect day to come to church because I interact with a lot of people and when they're not Christians and I tell them about this gospel message, the gospel means good news of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ who's come, who's borne the penalty for our sin on our behalf so that we won't bear the penalty ourselves, that if we will put our faith in Jesus, we will be, here's the word, the churchy word, the Christian word, we will be saved from our sin and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ and the eternal life with Christ forever. Now, when I talk to people who aren't Christians about this, often they have an imaginary backpack on their back. They're carrying with them some baggage from the past. And when you tell them about the hope that there is in Jesus, they'll, what they'll do is they'll, figure, figuratively speaking, they'll unzip the backpack and they'll pull out something from their past and they'll put it on the table and they'll go, God won't save me because of that. They go, I love what you said and all, but there's no way that I can reconcile in my mind that a good and a holy God would save me because of this thing in my past. Good news today. There are no unsavable people. That this gospel message of the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ, it transcends any ethnic boundaries like we're going to see today. It transcends socioeconomic boundaries. It transcends um, the boundaries that our society puts on that labels some people like, man, those people are way out there. Those are the detestable moral people of society. The gospel will save them, and the gospel is just as powerful to save the people we elevate and say, look at how awesome and good they are. Guess what? They're just as in need of the gospel to save them, too. There are no unsavable people. And what we're going to see as we study this, this is like, we have to understand Acts chapter 10 is a monumental 
chapter in the redemptive history, not only of the book of Acts, but all of the Bible. The redemptive plan of God to save all people all the way back from Genesis. Uh, the, Acts chapter 10 is a huge, huge chapter in that plan. And here's a statement we're going to bump into on our journey through this story today. Um, Peter's going to say, I realize now that there's no partiality in God. Like God's not just after like saving one special group of people. He's after the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating all sorts of every tribe, every tongue, every language, every socioeconomic barrier. God is after saving all people through his gospel. So all the way through Acts chapter 10 this morning is where we're going. Long story, important story. Four, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take four, four kind of story breaks throughout the teaching of this whole chapter. And in those story breaks, we're going to apply some things that we're seeing to our own lives here, who sit here thousands of years after this story takes place. This uh, story, Acts chapter 10, also begins for us a new sub-series in the book of Acts that we're calling Missional. We have broken up this whole year that we're spending in the book of Acts, one really long series, into a lot of short mini-series, so to speak, that help you get handles on what's going on in the book at this time. Over the next couple weeks, we'll be in a mini-series here called Missional, the Gospel to All, as we see the gospel begin to penetrate beyond, beyond outside of Jerusalem and outside of Samaria to reach the Gentiles across the world. And so let's uh, let God's word now wash over our heart. Pray with me and let's get ready for this. Father, I pray now for today such a monumental chapter in your plan to save humanity. And yet, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just get lost in the the macro, the macro understanding of all of this, the big picture, but Lord, that we would drive that big picture down to our, our hearts personally and what it means for all of us sitting right here. God, I pray that um, uh, your word is already living and active. It's alive. So Lord, I pray that I preach it in such a way that does your alive word justice today. Lord, don't, don't let me preach an alive word dead and dull. Lord, help me to do it justice. And um, God, I pray that uh, most of all, you will get the preacher out of the way of the preaching. Lord, I pray you would get all our, our, our fleshliness and humanity of our hearts out of the way of this. You'd give us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear now, Lord. Because, Lord, you have a word for us, and we want to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 10, get there with me in verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. Now, just stop right here. We got to understand, um, um, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he's just highlighted a new person in a new city. Remember what's going on in Peter's ministry at this time. He's got an itinerant ministry going on. It means he's going from city to city to city to encourage the believers to meet needs as the Spirit of God leads. We saw last week, as we were uh, teaching at the end of Acts chapter 9, Peter was in a town called Lida, where he um, healed a paralyzed man and led him to walk again. Then from there, he went over to the coast of the Mediterranean to a town called Joppa. There, he raises Tabitha from the dead. Now, Caesarea is, is north of Joppa, still along the Mediterranean coast. And I'm telling you something, if I lived in that day, I'm living in Caesarea, okay? We visited it. It's absolutely beautiful. 
It's this beautiful little coastal city right on the Mediterranean, kind of an aerial shot there. Um, um, When we got to Caesarea in Israel after visiting all these other places, both my wife and I went, oh, yes, this is where we would have lived. It is absolutely gorgeous as it sits there on the Mediterranean Sea. And it tells us about a guy who's living there. His name's Cornelius. We're told he's a centurion. He is a military leader. He would have led what was called a century or a, a hundred or more soldiers. This guy um, is a, a, a powerful, strong military leader, but it also tells us something else about him. It says he was a devout man, a God-fearing man. Cornelius is not yet a Christian, but there's something in his heart that's a, a seeker of truth. He wants to understand who this Yahweh God is, and um, this this carries out in how he's living his life. He's charitable. He's giving alms. He's praying continually to God, and he needs an understanding of who this Savior Jesus is. Now, uh, something really, really uh, unique happens to Cornelius in one of these days. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so one day, this Cornelius guy is praying and something magnificent happens. Angel appears and the angel has something. Hey, 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 Cornelius, here's what I need you to do. There's a guy down in Joppa. His name is Simon. His name's Simon Peter. Now, he's staying at another Simon's house. He's Simon the Tanner. And Cornelius is like, Simon Peter staying, Simon Tanner. And he's taking notes of all this. Uh, the angel leaves. Um, uh, this guy, military power, had people under him. He calls some of his servants together, and he calls one of his like, most trusted soldiers, and he says, hey, you three, come here. You're going down to Joppa. You're going to look, ask around. You're going to look for this guy's house named Simon the Tanner. And uh, staying there is another. I don't want Simon the Tanner. Don't bring Simon the Tanner back. Bring Simon Peter back. There's a guy there, Simon Peter. I need you to go get him, and I need you to bring him up here. And this is the vision that's happening up in Caesarea. Now, Luke now kind of pans the camera. He cuts the shot to the vision that Peter's going to get down in Joppa. And God in his sovereignty is going to connect these people supernaturally. Look at this vision now. Verse 9. The next day, as they, the people sent by Cornelius, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Okay, kind of a unique statement for our day, right? If you drove by my house tonight and you saw me on my roof and you said, hey, Brock, what are you doing up there? And I yelled back to you, stop bothering me, I'm praying. We don't, we don't have this kind of context in our day. What in the world is Peter doing on the roof praying? A shot of kind of a typical Palestinian house in this day. It's probably kind of dark for you. You can see the outline of the door. You can see the staircase over to the right of the screen. That staircase led to the top flat level of the house. That was usable space for people in this day. 
You would, you would hang out on the flat part of the top of your house. And this is where Peter has gone up, and he's going to get alone and spend some time in prayer. And now, if you need hope that your prayer life can be a bit distracted, like you're in good company with the Apostle Peter. Look at what happens here. And verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Can't we all relate to that? Lord, I'm ready to pray. Man, I'm hungry. Let me get a snack first. And he, he was hungry. And he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. For I have never eaten anything that, what are the two words here? That is what? That is common and remember that. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened how many times? This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So get on the rooftop with Peter right now. You went up there to pray. You fall into what the Bible calls a trance, and all of a sudden you're seeing now, let down from the four corners of heaven, this big old sheet, and on the sheet were animals. And and what kind of animals? Common and unclean, and specifically animals and reptiles and Not the most appetizing picture here. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. This vision from God of all these unclean animals filling this sheet, dropping from heaven, and it happens three times. Peter, get the point. Peter, get the point. Peter, get the point. What God has has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call unclean. And Peter, you ever wake up from a dream and you're like, what was that all about? Peter kind of snaps out of this thing, and he's going, what in the world is, was up with that? Because Peter is a devout Jew. He adhered to the Jewish dietary law. And now he's just gotten this vision from God of saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's going, what is up with that? Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, they stood at the gate. So Peter is kind of snapping out of this trance going, what was that all about? And while he's trying to collect his thoughts, there's some people at the gate. Is there a a Simon called Peter here? Verse 18, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany, with, uh, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, he was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited, he invited them in to be his guests. And so here come the two servants, the 
a soldier. They're staying at Simon the Tanner's house with Peter that night. And then we're told what happens. The next day, he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Okay, first, first story break. First story break right here. What we've seen from the end of Acts chapter 9 through this point in Acts chapter 10 is Peter in multiple different towns and cities here. As Peter's spending time in a certain city, all of a sudden, uh, messengers will come. Messengers went from Joppa to Lydda to go get him. Now messengers are coming from Caesarea down to Joppa to get him. And where God leads Peter to go, Peter goes. And at this stage in his ministry, he is just kind of like all over the known world at the time, obeying the Spirit as the Spirit leads him to new places. And now he has set out from Joppa to head north along the Mediterranean to this city of Caesarea. And we're about to see what's going to happen in the city of Caesarea. But before we do, let me just make our first kind of story break point for us today. And it's this. It's worth going anywhere and everywhere for the sake of the gospel. It's worth going anywhere and everywhere for the sake of the gospel. We are a sent people. If you're in here and you know Jesus Christ, we're a sent people. And we're a sent people who are to open our hands to the Lord and be willing to go anywhere and everywhere for the sake of the gospel as it applies to anyone and everyone. When God says go, we go. I think there's a great reminder built in for us that the first two letters of the word gospel are the letters G-O, go. That we're to be a people on the move, that we carry with us the best news message that we're hopelessly dead and lost in our sin, but God has sent a Savior, and it's His Son, and His name is Jesus, and He'll rescue and redeem us out of that mess, and He'll put our feet on solid ground and save us into the abundant eternal life in Christ. We got that message, and we're to carry it. We're to go with it. Now, um, as we see Peter living this out here, just some, some food for thought for us to think about. For the, uh, for the soon-to-be college graduate, you're heading into your senior year, you're soon-to-be college graduate, how you're going to be counseled to think about where you should spend your life after college is where the job offers come from. So you're going to start applying for jobs, and all the wisdom of the world and a lot of wisdom of well-meaning people, and in fact, your parents, if they're sitting here, they're going to probably disagree with me on this, Okay. But what they're going to say is um, make your decision of where to go live in life based on where the job offers come from. What if instead you made the decision on where to go in life after college is where there's the greatest gospel need and then look for a job there? Hey, why, why are you going to Boston? Because the Northeast is absolutely dead and in need of the gospel. Do you have a job offer there? No. Okay. I'm moving to Boston, and then I'm looking for a job. And now, I'm warning you, if you start to make decisions like this, your parents and other people are going to go, but honey, you need a job. And I know your pastor said that, but he's a whack job anyway. <laughs> like, the dude's nuts. You need a job. What if instead of making decisions about where you're going to go life after college based on where the job offer comes from, you may base it first and foremost where the gospel need is and then look for a job there. It's this missional way of living. Um, 
What about the culture of this, our church? As we become the church planting church that God has called us to be. And one day we stand up here, a couple that is called by God to go off into a new community and plant a church there. And we bring up the 10 to 12 people who are going to form the core group in this new community. What if the assumption, what if the culture of our church, what if the assumption is not that we're not supposed to go be a part of that, but that we are? And God, you're going to have to show me why I'm not called to go be a part of that. And that all of us, every time that we announce the new planting of a church in a new community, we all just open up our palms before the Lord and say, Lord, are you calling us to go be a part of that? What if we drove around and we saw pockets of need in our very own community right here? And what if we said, God, do you want me to move into that, com- that part of our community? And yeah, it doesn't meet kind of all my checklist things of uh, the size of the house and um, the, the way the community looks and, and all of these things. But God, um, it seems that as I drive through this part of our community, it seems there's some evident need there. And where there's evident need, there's often, um, it's often a great place for fertile ground for the gospel to take root. Do you want our family to move into that part? That's what it means to live missionally. And what we're seeing Peter do here for the sake of the spread of the gospel, He's just going, now, God, now you, want me to, now you want me to go to Joppa? Okay. Now you want me to go to Caesarea? Okay. And he's just obeying as the Spirit leads. This gospel message, it's worth going anywhere and everywhere for the sake of the good news message of Jesus Christ. And all God's people better say, amen. amen. Easy to preach on Sunday, hard to live on Monday. Now, he's going up to Caesarea and look what? Look what happens here, verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and he fell down at his feet, and he worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. So Peter, he gets to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius has gathered like some of his closest friends and family there. And um, just stand up, stand up if you would. Um, I always catch you writing notes, don't I? And you always get used. And, and as, Peter, as Peter walks through the door, as Peter walks through the door, Cornelius gets down on the ground. Get down on the ground. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to. He, he, he gets down on the ground, and he starts to worship Peter. And what does Peter do, Jess? You be, you be your best Peter. What's he do? He says, get up, man. What do you, get up. I'm a man just like you. What do you, don't get down on the ground and worship me. And Peter walks in the door and Cornelius hits his face on the ground and he starts worshiping. And Peter's like, no, 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 you don't worship me. I'm going to tell you about who you're supposed to worship. Get, get up. And, he, and as he talked with him, verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, don't miss this. Now we're going to camp out here. Uh, next story break coming right after this. You got to get what happens here. And, as he, and he said to them, verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Stop right there. Peter walks in the door and he sees these Gentiles gathered in this Gentile house And he looks around, and I want you to sense Peter's uncomfortability right now. 
I want us to get why the first thing Peter does as he enters into kind of the formal area of the house and he sees all these Gentiles surround him, he goes, whoa, you, you all know how unlawful this is right now. That unlawful word, literally Peter's saying, that you all know like how taboo of a thing this is for me to be doing right now, right? For me, this quote-unquote clean Jew, to enter into the house of you unclean Gentiles. Jew and Gentiles did not mix. One of the most, one of the most like disgraceful things a Jew could have done was to enter into the house of a Gentile, especially to sit down at the table and eat with a Gentile. And Peter goes, you get this doesn't happen, right? But then look at what he says. He's now connecting the context of the vision he had with what's going on in reality. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? Second, second story break. We need to get this now. Here it is. Let me explain this point, okay? Don't you all be, honey, get the kids. Let's get out of here. This guy's crazy. Okay? Let me explain this point. It's worth violating social and religious customs for the sake of the gospel. It is worth violating social and religious customs for the sake of the gospel. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? All of the quote-unquote religious people of Peter's day, those clean Jews, they would have looked at Peter and they would have said, how dare you? How could you? How could you go and associate with with them. This is a massive social and quote-unquote religious barrier that Peter just goes, yeah, there's the line of it. Boom. I'm going there. And I'm meeting with them. And we're going to see, he's like, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. And I'm not going to let any sort of social or man-made, man-made religious barrier prevent me from taking the gospel to the people that you would say are unsavable because guess what? God showed me something. They're savable. Now, what is this? What do I mean by violating or crossing religious customs? Here's what I certainly don't mean. Let's look at all on the same page with this. I don't mean that we would ever sin, cross sin lines to take the gospel to people. That is, it's so outside of what God would ever call us to do is to violate clear sin lines to take the gospel. I don't even mean this, that we should violate what wisdom says. We shouldn't put, our, put ourselves in places where a wisdom would just say to go there is to put yourself in a situation to absolutely fall on your face. Don't violate Sin lines don't violate wisdom lines, but then there's some things that we've created in the comfort bubble of church that are like man-made lines where we've just said, no, 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 you can't cross that. Why? 
Did God ever say that? Or have we created that? Let me give you a practical today illustration of what I mean by this. In the last town that we lived in, um, there was a, a place of business. I'll try to talk as parents. I'll try to help you out here on this one. There's a place of business in town that was labeled, self-labeled as a quote-unquote gentleman's club. And all the parents in here know what I'm talking about. Um, growing, you know, you lived in this town. If you were a Christian in this town, you just, you, you just kind of pretended like it didn't exist. You just, it doesn't exist. It's that place out by the interstate and just pretend like it doesn't exist. And it certainly as a Christian, you didn't ever engage with that place. And a, a couple of the ladies in our church started to ask, why not? Why not? Why don't we engage with that place? A couple ladies in our church, guess what? Spearheaded and led by the senior pastor's wife. Said, why, why not? Why don't we go engage? And so here's what they started to do. They started on a regular basis to go inside the walls of the gentleman's club for the purpose of ministering to the women who worked there. And they'd go in, and they'd love on them. They'd get to know them. They'd ask, how can we be praying for you? They'd bring gifts to them, and then they'd leave. And I'm sure the first time all the ladies who worked there went, what in the world was that? They ain't never going to be back here, them church women. And guess what? They came back. And then they came back. And then they came back. And then they came back. Now, did this make some super hyper-religious people in our church and community like really uncomfortable? I'm sure it did. Did, did, did any of these women ever imagine that ministry would take them inside the walls of that quote-unquote gentleman's club there? I'm sure they never could have imagined that, but they were willing to cross over into some uncomfortable social boundary territories for the purpose of taking to the gospel to people desperately in need of the gospel. Does that make sense? Let me give you another one. Now I'm getting... I'm going to get real dangerous here. I actually cut this one in the manuscript, and now I'm bringing it out on the spot, and I usually pay for that. But um, Eric and I grew up a block away. Uh, not grew up. We didn't grow up together. Eric and I lived a block away from this hotel in Crawfordville called uh, the General Lou Wallace Inn, uh, affectionately referred to in Crawfordville as the Lou. And uh, the first floor of the Lou was a bar, and Thursday night was karaoke night at the Lou. You should have heard Pastor DJ at karaoke night at the Lou, okay? <laughs> Fantastic. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, and every Thursday night, the parking lot would just be full of people. And I would have worked all week in like my really nice, neat ministry bubble. And then I would drive by the parking lot of the Lou and I'd go, man, that place is packed. You know what I should do? I should go spend my Thursday evenings with the people at the Lou because I bet there are people I will never run into in the, wall, in the hallway of my church office all week. And guess what? I can never bring myself to do it. I can never bring myself to do it. Why? I was so worried at what people would think if they heard that young youth pastor guy from church there is spending his Thursday evenings meeting with people at the loot. Now, some of you are like, yes, you shouldn't have. It makes you uncomfortable that I would even think to do something like that. My question is, why does that make you uncomfortable? 
Because, Brock, you remember that wisdom thing you talked about? I agree. For some, it would not be wise to go do ministry on a Thursday karaoke night in a bar. For some, it would not be wise. I have plenty of sin struggles in my life. A desire for alcohol is not one of them. I think I could have done that, honored the Lord with it, and had a ministry for the gospel inside the, laws of, or inside the walls of a very shady bar a block away from my house. It's worth violating social and religious customs for the sake of the gospel, and now everyone is uncomfortable in here. I just want you to go home, and I want you to sit around the dinner table, lunch table, and I want you to wrestle with what that looks like. What are sin lines we should never violate? What are wisdom lines we should never violate? Talk about this with your kids. What are like man-made created social slash man-made religious customs that you know what? We got to go and engage people far from the gospel. We got to be willing to do what Peter does here and go sit in the houses of the Gentiles for the sake of the gospel. Now, what does Peter do here? I got to get going. Verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Translation, Peter, um, here's the mic, the floor is yours. God said to bring you here to tell us something. Now you're here, tell us something. And Peter knows what to do with this. If you want to know what all of Acts 10 is about, listen to these next two verses. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel... Preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both, <clears throat> both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Gospel proclaimed in a Gentile house. Because there are no unsavable people. There are no people that the gospel should not be proclaimed to. There are no people that the gospel does not apply to. And Peter, when they said, here's the mic, you got the floor, he says, gospel time. Third story break. Here it is. It's worth boldly sharing the gospel any chance and any place. Any chance and any place. Any chance and any place. Tell people of Jesus and don't be ashamed to say his name. Tell them. Tell them. Peter knows 
I get, okay, you had a vision in Caesarea. I had a vision in Joppa. The vision is what led me to come up here. You're telling me that God gave you a vision that said, I was just supposed to get you up here and you're supposed to talk. And Peter goes, I know what's supposed to happen here. Tell him about Jesus. God will give us gospel opportunities. Let's not miss them. God will at times say, here is the mic. You have the floor. Take the floor and tell him of Christ. Share the hope of Jesus Christ in spite of the fear, in spite of the reservations we might have. Now look at what happens because the gospel was proclaimed here. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the believers who came with Peter who were Jews, who had Jewish lineage, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were what? Okay, Peter's preaching. Best possible interruption of a sermon ever. The Spirit just falls on the place. And it's evident. And the Gentiles are filled with the Spirit. They are folded into the family, and it's evident. Well, we'll know why it's evident. Keep reading. The believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. It's evident. Spirit falls, fills the Gentiles. They're folded into the family. They're speaking in tongues. The the evidence of the Spirit is proclaimed here. And the Jewish believers who come with Peter, their jaw drops and they went, no way. The gospel has the power to save even the Gentiles. It's good news for us because most who fill this room here today are, in fact, Gentiles. Then Peter declared, verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. For the first three points we've said, it's worth it, 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 it's worth it. Now, point four, why is it worth it? Why is it worth it? It's, here's why it's worth it, because it's awesome. And I don't use that word flippantly, and I don't use that word just because I had no other use, word to use. I use that word because in the text it says the Jewish believers were what? They were in awe. It is awesome watching God save anyone by the power of the gospel, by those who were so far from the Lord, by those who had all of this baggage of past sin, who didn't think they were savable. It is awesome when the gospel grips a heart with the truth that Jesus saves. He shows no partiality. The gospel applies to anyone and everyone. And folks, as Christians... As Christians, we are sent anywhere and everywhere to take the gospel to anyone and everyone. It's this awesome privilege that God has entrusted to us. Right here in Acts chapter 10, we see Acts 1-8 being, being fulfilled. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, let's stop there. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost comes, the Spirit falls, fills his people. And in all Judea and where? You remember when the Spirit fell on the Samaritans as well? And, they, and everyone went, wow, even the Samaritans, wow. But they were quote-unquote labeled by the Jews half-breeds, half-Jews. Now, and to the end of the earth, the gospel gripping the heart of Gentiles and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all. But this, Acts chapter 10, is the culmination not only of Acts 1-8, but also of this. Back in Genesis, God said something to Abraham. And in Genesis, God said to Abraham, hey, guess what? From you, from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Don't miss that. From you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Boom, baby. Jesus, Lord of all the nations of the earth. Christians, this is why we must be a missional people. This is why when God says move to a different country for the sake of the gospel, we move. This is why God, when God says move to a different state for the sake of the gospel, we move. This is why when God says move to a different county for the sake of the gospel, we move. This is why God says cross the road for the sake of the gospel. Walk one cubicle over for the sake of the gospel. Cross your school hallway to that locker over there and tell them about Jesus because he is the hope of the world who saves anyone anywhere this is our Lord Lord of all every tribe, every tongue, every nation every ethnic background every socioeconomic status in which someone lives every, every morally detestable is labeled by society and every morally upright we all are in desperate need of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so church stand on your feet right now we're going to worship this Jesus and as we do I just want to say that if you're here if you're here and you're one of those people who believe that you have too much baggage in the book bag you're carrying from stuff in the past that Jesus would never save someone like you, I want you to hear today, yes, he will. We're about to sing that on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven, and this is where I look to you, rose again. And on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Do you want to know what happened when Jesus rose from the dead? He conquered the power of sin and death. So when he went to the cross and when he shed his blood and when he gave his life and when he was laid in the tomb and then the stone was rolled away and he rose from the dead, there is no sin that has taken you too far to be saved by the Savior who did that. If you think you're too far gone, if you think that the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf doesn't apply to you, then, then you don't understand the power of the cross. And let me tell you about the power of the cross. The power of the cross has the power to crush any sin in your life. It has the power to free you from the bondage of anything that you're going through. The power of the cross has the power to take all the shame and all the guilt away. And yes, you'll look back at your old life and you'll say, man, I cannot believe I did that and I went there and I did those things. But guess what? I'm not who I once was. Like I'm not even the same man. 
God's given me a new heart and my Lord is Jesus and the things that I used to love and want, they're detestable to me and the things that I used to laugh at, why do people do this? I love them. This is what Jesus is capable of. And so if you're here today and you've never called on Jesus Christ to be saved, today is the day. Today is the day. Why wait? The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No, no exceptions. Okay, then what do I do after this? How do I earn it? How do I work for it? You don't. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God wants to give you the greatest gift today, and that is his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. What are you waiting for? Call. What do I say? Call. He knows how to translate you. He knows what you're calling for. Talk to him, tell him, cry out, Lord, I need you today. I want you today. You are Lord today. I'm done with that old stuff today. I'm believing today that you have the power to save even me, regardless of ethnic lineage, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of what I've done or where I've been, you can save me today. And guess what? He can and he will. You call on him right now as we sing out to this Savior, Pastor DJ.